Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Chef. I've got Mike with me on the episode this week. Mike. I'm finally back. Yeah, he, we, he wanders off sometimes. You know, they pay him more than we do. So That's, you know. that's true. <laughs> if, you, if you guys would start paying for this podcast, then Mike would maybe show up more often. He's more of a money-motivated kind of guy. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> when they offer me triple time, I'm like, see you, Tyler. See you next week. Good God. You know, your triple time is more than a lot of people in America make in a week. That's your hourly triple time. That's crazy. Uh, but then then you get to share with the government. So let's not forget that. <laughs> I know. I, I see it every paycheck. Right. But everybody does. And yikes. Remember that non-pilots, before you go hating on your pilots, understand that they are the reason why the rest of us don't have to pay as big of a tax bill because they're picking up our tab too. <laughs> oh, geez. W-2 tax woes, no fun. This week, Mike, we're not going to talk about taxes, are we? Because God knows I'm not an expert in that. No, it's boring. Let's talk about another boring topic. That's right. Well, not boring. <laughs> I find it, you know, it's interesting. I find it sexy because it's a way to solve a problem that a lot of people overlook. And what you and I have been fortunate to discover and it wasn't uh on purpose we discovered it kind of by accident that when you get good at solving zoning problems guys you can make deals where deals were never before possible you're probably wondering what the hell am i talking about well we're doing we build alfs so in other words we, we buy residential single family homes and we convert them to assisted living and what we've discovered that in most cities you can do that without even asking for permission, provided you're more than they're less than six or six beds or less when you have a finished product. But, you know, we're bringing investors on and we want to make sure we can give those investors a nice return and be consistent in that return. So for us, it's a safer bet to have more beds than just six. Um, you can correct a lot of errors in life by having multiple streams of income, right? I've been saying that since episode one and we're at episode i don't know 403 something like that in this podcast at this point so when we're looking at a business model you know it's kind of like people are the folks that do apartment buildings big apartment buildings versus small if i have to put a roof on my uh, on a fourplex let's say or even a tenplex i only have 10 people in that case paying towards the repair of that roof or 10 streams that are paying towards it but with a 100 unit apartment building there's 100 people same thing is true with assisted living. So with zoning, what we've discovered is, is that from a residential perspective, if you're six beds or less, you usually don't need permission within some parameters. I mean, there's exceptions to every rule. But if you want to go over that, that's when you start getting your local government involved because they have to give you what they call a, a variance or they have to give you a conditional use permit. Thoughts on that part, Mike, before I dive in? Yeah, a conditional use permit... Never understood about that. I thought it was just like, oh, just change the zoning and everything is good. Right. That's what I thought too. Well, <laughs> Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> yeah. What we learned through this process is not only is the current zoning law, but the city is also looking at future zoning. So right. every city has their own idea of what their city should look like in 10 years or whatnot. That's right. And even though it's not there yet, it still influences their decision in regards to can these conditional uses, these right. uh, small variances. Here's an example. Let's say they want to attract, I don't know, uh, they want to attract millennials to your town. Well, if you're going to attract millennials, millennials, let's say, have pets. So you want to attract pet lovers to your town. Well, if that's the case, then if a developer comes to you and says, 
I have this vacant lot. I want to build a shopping mall. Well, millennials shop online. They don't shop in malls. They don't go to malls at all. Older people go to malls purely for the exercise. So if the city is forward thinking, which a lot of them are, they're going to look at that, at the zoning use of that land and say, you know what? We're not cool with you putting in a shopping mall on this land. But if you want to donate a portion of this land to us for a dog park, for example, that would attract millennials because millennials all have dogs and cats and all this other stuff, uh, then we might be more inclined to look favorably upon that. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a, a rough example. Salida, Colorado, right? You got your little town. It was a railroad town. It didn't really have a lot of entertainment infrastructure because it was a working man's town. It's where they built the railroad. So you'd have your bars and restaurants and whatever, but when they want to transition it over to like an entertainment mecca that draws people in, they had to make functional changes. For example, if you wanted to yank the park out, if you bought the ground underneath the local park down by the river, the city's going to say, no, it's not going to happen because that little park is a huge draw for people. It's one of the ways to get in the river. It's one of the ways to get out of the river. It's a great place. It provides a draw for the local businesses, the restaurants, the bars, whatever. So you're not going to be able to buy that lot and turn it into, I don't know, a, a Radio Shack. It's not going to happen. Radio Shack is past its prime, so to speak. So zoning laws, to your point, Mike, are there to kind of keep a little bit of rule and order so that, you know, you don't wind up with a city block that's got five Starbucks on it. Um, but at the same time, it's forward thinking. So I want to point out that when these governments, and they're very rigid on this, depending on the municipality, but what we find is that they tend to be pretty certain in their ways. They've spent a lot of time and effort putting research in to determine what's the highest and best use for a piece of land in a given area, and that's where these zoning laws come in. So the first step to that, guys and girls, is understanding the zoning laws. I don't want you to think that your job is just to go in and fight everything for the sake of fighting, and just because you want it that way doesn't mean the local government will agree. And for that matter, the local residents may not agree. If you wanted to bring in, uh, I don't know, a sufferance movement in Key West, you know, you want to put a, I don't know, a Catholic church or a synagogue on Duval Street in Key West, good luck with that. That's probably not going to happen because the reason why Duval Street is it's is what it is, is because it's debauchery, unfortunately, I hate to say it. So zoning won't allow a church to be built on Duval Street anymore because it lends itself to a party scene. That's kind of my example. Thoughts on that first point, Mike? Yeah. So you mentioned neighbors. Mm-hmm. Neighbors have a lot more to do with zoning than I originally thought. I agree. City council meetings are usually full of concerned citizens. Absolutely. Which and I've they, been one of them. And so have you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always thought, well, whatever is the law is the law. Whatever is the future use plan is future use plan. And they won't mm-hmm. deviate from that. But when your neighbor has a complaint, oh, but it's going to ruin my house that I've owned here for 50 years. Uh, I've noticed the city council bends in favor of the neighbor a lot. That's very right. emotionally based. So I'm a very cut and dry person. So it was a bit foreign to me to see you know, the, this grandma coming in and Changing the outcome of a variance. Right. So because of that, in our experience too, it's very important to be friendly with your neighbors. I know it sounds stupid, everything, but talk to them about what your plan is and why you think it will benefit them and the community. Sounds really stupid, but from what I've seen, it makes a big difference when the neighbor's happy 
city council gets wind of that, believe it or not, especially in small towns, Tarpon Springs, Salida, Key West, uh, word gets the city council into the decision makers pretty quickly. You're a details guy. To me, it makes a lot of sense because the emotional element is what controls everything really in this day and age. And for example, if I said to you, Mike, I just bought all the houses across the street from you and I'm going to put in a Wawa. How do you feel I'd about be, that, buddy? I'd be pissed. I'd you be would. Pissed. Why would you be pissed? Come on, you'll get you'll get burritos anytime you want, twenty four hours a day. Oh God, right? <laughs> but if I went next door and talked to Mike and said, "Hey, Mike, I'm thinking of putting. I want to put a Wawa in across the street. What do you think?" Mike's going to say, "The hell you are! Not in my front yard." At that point, it's number one. It's going to give me the opportunity to gauge resistance if I'm going to get it or not. Mm-hmm. Mike may say, you know what? I love Wawa burritos and I, you, you damn skippy. I'll help you take the first shovel of dirt because I love burritos. I love Wawa burritos. Or he's going to say, heck no, you won't go. Um, but in that case that now you can, before you, you get too deep into things, you can kind of gauge the situation, test the waters and see where it's going to go. If I said, Hey, Mike, I'm going to knock down all those houses and I'm going to put in a beautiful park with mature oak trees and a, a workout station over there where you can work out and a, a dog park for your two dogs. What do you think about that, Mike? That makes everyone feel warm and cozy because that could be right. next door. Yeah. Mike, could you help me sign this petition so that I could get, so that I could get this done? Uh, because I really want to do this now, Mike, you're probably going to find out later. So I'm going to tell you now down at the end of the street where you can't see behind the dog park, I am going to put in a Wawa, but it's going to be way back in the corner. I want to keep you happy. So I'm going to make sure that you have your dog park so you get what you want, and then I can get what I want down around the corner where it won't bother you. Does that make sense? And Mike's going to be like, sure, man. By the way, you still got the burritos? And off we go to the races. That's the benefit of networking with the local community and figuring out what people want. We found in when we moved in, we got in going in Tarpon Springs, one of the reasons that we chose assisted living as our venue uh, with the big house that we bought is that number one, the neighborhood was screaming for it. They need it because one of the big complaints, Greeks are very family oriented, very communal type uh, uh, group of folks. And they didn't like the fact that in a lot of cases, they had to go way up to Pasco County, Newport, Ritchie, Tampa. If they wanted to put Yaya in some sort of an assisted living facility, Yaya's grandma in Greek, they had to relocate her somewhere out of town. And that makes it harder to go visit her. And it's just a big problem. So when we say to them, hey, what if Yaya could live right here on Division Street? Now, the Greeks are like, hell yeah, that's what we want. So it becomes essentially their idea and they like it. That way we get the buy-in of the local community. Now, with our situation, we still had to go through and are going through hoops with the city government. But the benefit of the whole thing is, is that we use, like you had said, Mike, this neighborhood thing. We talked to the neighbors to find out whether or not this was going to meet with resistance. And what we found is if, if resistance comes, it's not going to be from the neighbors. For me, that gave me like a two thumbs up. Okay, good. This is something the community needs. The layperson on the ro- on the neighborhood sees the need, identifies the need, is all for it. And it's a way to increase their property value because we're going to take what's not a nice house and we're going to make it a gorgeous house. So at least we know that we're not going to deal with that resistance. Logically, when you apply logic to that and you can, maybe you get a petition, you take it to your local government. Now the zoning board comes in, Mike, and I'm going to leave that up to you with the zoning board because yeah, I think you got some insight on that. Yeah. Like when you're not happy talking to your neighbors, <laughs> what's the next step? <laughs> if you ever watch the zoning board, it's everybody's nervous on both ends. Well, <laughs> nervous on the non-city council end. 
Uh, what I'm, zoning is not very as cut and dry as I thought. As I mentioned, they always look at the future use plan, not just the current law. But in, on that same topic, if you happen to be watching our uh, webinar that we had just a few hours ago, you would have noticed that we have, uh, I think, four, maybe more than four attorneys on our team. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of people were watching the webinar like, why do they have four attorneys? Right. Well, what we learned, zoning is, it's not just a local thing like we thought. That's true. Like most people thought. Uh, it's also a state. It's also a federal zoning thing. So we have certain attorneys who uh, specialize in the federal level. That's right. Understand uh, what uh, people with Fair housing disabilities. Fair mm-hmm. housing, Fair housing Act, Act. disability. Americans with uh, Disabilities Act, yep. Yeah. You have some attorneys who specialize in that. Ours is Michelle. She's very good at it. World-renowned because she specializes on a specific niche at the federal level. That's right. And then we also have another attorney, Mike Kuskotis, who focuses on the local and state level. He's in Florida. He's specifically in Tarpon Springs. He grew up there. He knows people in city council. He represents well. He represents us well in front of the city. Mike and I are not there at the moment. He's in Colorado. I'm down in Key West. He provides that liaison between us and the city. He's very practical, very well-spoken, not intimidating, but he's also very well-respected in the community, and that goes a long way towards getting this done. That's right. So I'm sure you've heard, yeah, get a zoning attorney. But it's not just one zoning attorney is what we learned. There's different levels, as I mentioned, the federal, the state, and the local. But then we're dealing with assisted living facilities. So Michelle, who deals on the federal level, specializes in assisted living zoning. And the laws surrounding it. right? Exactly, which are very intricate, by the way. And interestingly enough, our local attorney was not aware of the federal uh, laws that specifically have to do with assisted living. So right. if we combine their forces, and honestly, I think it's real fun when we uh, get on a conference call with our attorneys all talking amongst themselves, the legalese, of how much that they're bouncing off of each other, good ideas where the other is lacking. They have, they have kind of, it's like Swiss cheese. You have to fill in those holes in the Swiss cheese with uh, another expert. You do. And I want to add something to that. And one thing that I've learned through this process is I used to get disappointed when I went to an attorney and I would ask a question. They didn't have an answer because I assumed if you're like a real estate attorney, then you'd have the answers to all this stuff. And I, and Sean Yesner, we love Sean. He really helped me get clear on this. And, and that's when I learned to bring individual experts in. For example, I went to Sean because he's our go-to everyday attorney, Yesner Law. I said, Sean, here's the problem. How do I fix it? He goes, oh, you call so-and-so. I'm like, well, why Why don't you do it? He says, that's not my expertise of study. I'm not a zoning expert. Yes, I'm a real estate attorney, but zoning is its own animal within, in and of itself. So I want you to reach out to a zoning attorney, and here's, a, here's one referral. And if that doesn't work out, call me. I'll give you a second one. So in that case, we called the first one. And on the first attorney, very knowledgeable in zoning, no doubt. But she is known as kind of a pit bull. And I'm not talking about Michelle as an attorney we wound up not hiring. We had a consultation with her. And she has been extremely successful in pushing her agenda across the finish line with the city of Tarpon Springs. The problem is she's burned a lot of bridges in the process. She doesn't play nice. She goes in with a baseball bat. It'd be kind of like, not to get political, hiring Donald Trump to sweet talk somebody. It's not going to work that way. It's not going to play out. Instead, you you need somebody that is articulate and can 
well communicate what we're trying to accomplish without burning bridges and or upsetting someone. It's so much so, and this is why I respect her a lot, is that she said to us, I'm probably not the best choice, and here's why. Yes, I won this famous case, but it wasn't without scars. And they don't like me because I I beat them at their own game, and that may not serve you guys well. And we really, I think we both appreciated that, that we that she told us that way. And then she had give us some some clues on probably who we should hire. And then, of course, I know a lot of folks in Tarpon Springs, so I use those clues, and that's how we came up with Mike Kuskudas, because he's very, very good at, number one, being articulate, but number two, being clear in what we're saying without offending someone, because the last thing you guys want to do is walk in and start throwing your legal team in on day one with these zoning people, because these zoning people are government workers, make no doubt, or make no mistake. They, You push them into a corner, they're going to either come out fighting or they're going to shut down, and neither situation works to your advantage. It works against you both times. Um, fortunately, we were able to dodge that, because I got to tell you guys, that wasn't my first idea. Mike taught me off the ledge. I was first. I was like, just no. Well, he told me no. Yeah, I go, go get him. And, and then Mike was like, maybe we need to rethink this a little bit and come in a little softer there. Tough guy. So thank you. Yeah. But Mike, you make, you make a good point. We always talk about due diligence. You need to do your due diligence on yes. the people you hire too. How, for example, you know, Tyler knows folks in Tarpon Springs and he asked everybody who was well known in the community who has the legal power, who has the influence. More importantly, who has the ear of the city? Because before we hired Mike, Tyler, I mean, you were going down to the city council and talking to zoning. Mm-hmm. And now that we have Mike Kuskudis, how, how are they treating us compared to the, how they talk to you, compared to Much how better. they talk to Mike Kuskudis? Much better. And it doesn't, it lends itself to just a better conversation across the board. Sometimes they talk at a pretty high level, especially, you know, they, the one lady has like a PhD in zoning, which Tyler does not. Mike, being an experienced attorney, knows when to probably keep his mouth shut and when he, when he should, when he shouldn't. Tyler yeah. sometimes hasn't learned that lesson. <laughs> uh, I will read one thing and stick on it and, and I'll try to, you know, try the case myself, so to speak, which doesn't make sense. That's when. When you recognize those shortcomings about yourself, that's when you bring these other people in your team. The reason why we're going to absolutely crush it with assisted living is not because Mike and I are smart. It's not because we got jealous doing our project management. It's because we have a team. We've got an incredible legal team uh, and not, you know, not like people that are going to be nasty and mean for people that know how to put deals together that are experts in different areas of law. We have an ALF consultant who is an expert at all things involving running an ALF business and also vetting our our future tenants because we're going to be, those of you who don't know, we're buying these assets, we're fixing them up, turning them into ALS, and then we're going to rent the completed building to an ALF operator. That way, Mike and I are not wiping butts because he needs to fly planes <laughs> and I need to stay down here in Key West selling millionaires to mansions or you know mansions to millionaires rather because that makes more sense. But Next section I want to talk about is, Mike, what happens when they say no? And then, honestly, the first time we talked to the city, that was their response is, no, you really can't do this, and here's all the reasons why. There's an appeal process. You want to touch on that, Mike? What we've learned is, through our attorneys, that there's multiple ways of kind of appealing. Mm-hmm. The nicest way, or the, the easy button way, is for our attorney to write in legalese 
I was impressed they pull out all these court cases and sources from federal, state, local law and say, hey, this is the case we have. This is why we think it should be okay. So that's, right. that's, that's like without the appeal, just kind of like attorney to attorney letters. They've been pretty effective. They but have. that's kind of like a first line of defense, right? Mm-hmm. Then you've got your second of line of defense. Now, well, we can go to uh, HUD. Uh, was it uh, Housing and Urban Development, which is on state or federal level. Now we can appeal to them, which will come down on the city. That's right. Obviously, is that well, the local cities don't understand all those state and federal law. We've, we've definitely learned that part. Let me elaborate on that real quick. They may understand their own. They have a certain interpretation of their own zoning code. Yes. For example, you know, if Mike puts on a pair of shoes, he's going to interpret what they look like in a certain way. But if I'm colorblind, I'm never going to be able to see that he's got blue shoes on. Right. So my interpretation is they're just gray shoes. No, they're not. They're blue. Well, regardless, the man's still wearing shoes. So that's the difference here is the interpretation. They are the city interpretates the, the code a certain way. The attorney's job is to help them see our interpretation. Yes. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. In this case, what I know, we know the city is not an expert in, and I find this a lot, is working with people of dis- persons of disability, because that's not something they run across every day. Uh, if you were going to be an uh, ask for zoning for a Tesla factory, how many of those have been built across the country? So if you roll into the city of Tampa and say, I want to build Teslas, I'm pretty sure that there's nobody in City Hall that has ever looked at a zoning application for Tesla. Uh, in the city of Tampa, so you, also, you would understand and expect that there is zero expertise when it comes to building electric vehicles and how that pertains to zoning within city government. That's where your legal team's job is to teach them, help give them the resources such that they can be successful in helping the taxpayer, which in this case is us. That's right. And what I like about our legal team is they give us a lot, many options. One of them that I like is sitting down at the table with the town and say, okay, if we do this, 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 now can we get through? That's right. Will you be okay with the, you know these compromises? Whether we That's increase right. the lot size or get a build, uh, larger building, would you be okay for to settle a variance that way? And if not, what other criteria do you require? So really sitting down at the table saying, hey, we could do this. Is that good? No. How about this? Is that good? That's right. I kind of like that because now nobody's the bad guy. We're trying to understand each other. Right. One thing I couldn't stand as a child is being told no. <laughs> Big shocker there, that. right? That's why you're laughing, right? I, I still don't like it. But my mom and dad were successful by helping me understand why it's no. For example, and sometimes they would explain it more than once and then they would get quit, of, quit explaining it and just let me go, you know, fall off a ladder. But my mom would sit down and explain to me, I'd say, well, when I go to a restaurant, why can't I wear my hat? Well, because it's not polite. It's not good manners. You should take your hat off. And if that didn't work the first time, she would figure out a different way to explain it so that I understood it. It's rude. It's disrespectful. You shouldn't do that. That, because I understood whether it be the consequence or the reasoning or the mind frame behind it, I was less likely to fight it and more inclined to just figure out a way to make it work. Like, I don't have to wear a hat at dinner. I'll be okay if I don't wear a hat. I'm just using it as an example. Uh, and when it comes to zoning, there's usually middle ground. Unless your request is so off the chain uh, out there, like, oh, geez, I want to build a Willy Wonka chocolate factory in the middle of a strip club and then build a church around it. There's probably not a zoning clause for that. So 
there's always a happy medium. There's a compromise, you know, sitting down with the board, as you'd said, having these simple conversations going, Hey guys, how do I understand that as it's written, this is maybe not, wouldn't be able to work. However, the need exists. These are disabled folks of age. How do we accommodate them? What can we do? What reasonable accommodation can the city make? And then with that, how can we tweak our plan where we can come together as a community and solve this problem? And when you approach it like that, you start getting good answers. Uh, the downside is that does take time, as we found, is it, you know, time, the wheels of justice, so to speak, move slowly. Um, and, you know, time is never our friend. Everybody wants to get going yesterday, but that's that. Um, lastly, before we wrap up, you know, the kind of the last ditch effort is going back to networking, talking with your elected officials, talking with the mayor, talking with city commission, talking with the people at zoning. Early on, I went into zoning and sat down and talked to them and said, we have this building. Here's what we'd like to do with it. What do you think? They were like, well, we love the concept of it. Here are some hiccups. Okay. Now we're at the stage where we're sitting down with our legal team and we're having them sit down with the legal team for the city to work through the challenges, to overcome the objections. So in the end, we can do what we need to do. We can invite the mayor to the ribbon cutting and they can get all the credit for all the great ideas they had and everybody wins. The city gets its tax base. We get our assisted living facility. The investors get the return they're looking for and everybody's happy. Parting thoughts on that, Mike? I like those options. There are more options we learned from our attorney. Unfortunately, those are costly and uh, very time-consuming, such as going through federal court, even state court. What we found out uh, can cost tens of thousands of dollars, take years. So that's why I like having the attorney, because they kind of give us the, the softer, more compromising options to see what we could do without resorting to that. That's right. It's absolutely right. So guys, with that, we're going to leave you right there. Uh, we hope you have a great week moving forward. We hope you didn't get any damage from that old hurricane that was down there in Florida. It slid right bomb by Key West. I gave it a wave as it headed up towards Cedar Key. Thank God it didn't take to knock down my cabin. I was just looking at my camera system before we started recording, and it's still standing. Starlink is still connected. That's amazing. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. Now, lastly, if you want more information about investing in assisted living, you want to know what we're up to, or you want to get a copy of the replay of our webinar, then just reach out to us through the website, cashflowguys.com. And uh, we're going to have another webinar coming up in a couple of weeks. That date will be announced very shortly. We hope you join us there and you can learn all about what we're up to. And uh, we will see you on the next one. So guys, talk to you next time and we'll see you on the other side. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.